Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on This Needs to Be Said. I want to tell you that I'm super excited for a couple of reasons. As of late, I've really, really, really dug into my own personal history, and I wonder if what my parents did in the past <clears throat> was that what they viewed the American dream to be. I'm curious if the American dream has changed at all. Today's guest is the author of The American Experiment, David Rubenstein. Welcome to This Needs to Be Said. David, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for having me today. I've been thinking about the American dream since I got the opportunity to read, to read your book and to prepare to interview um, with you, and it caused me to revisit some things I haven't thought about in a long time, um, like the preamble to the Constitution. <laughs> uh, was the American experiment or is the American experiment of the Constitution, is that something that's still alive and well? Was it a good idea then? Is it a good idea now? Like all of those questions came up as I was reading um, your book and the interviews and the topics that you covered. Uh, and I couldn't pick just one, so I just wanted to um, ask you a few questions that are not directly, they're, they're a result of me reading the book. Um, when you talk about the American dream um, for you, what do you see that as? Well, the American dream was a phrase invented in 1936 to describe the idea that in America you could rise up based on your hard work and merit and accomplish anything uh, differently than Let's say in Europe where very often or other parts of the world you're born in a certain social and economic class and you really couldn't rise up above it. And many mm -hmm. people came to this country, came to this country voluntarily because they thought the American dream would be one that they could live through. Sadly, in our country now, many people, uh, particularly people in minorities are, or social underclass or economic underclass, don't believe in the American dream as much as people who immigrate to this country believe in it. In my own case, mm -hmm. I came from parents who did not have a high school degree. Neither of them were, and uh, they didn't make much money, but I believe in the American dream. And I, you know, I, I think I've lived the American dream, but I recognize I'm somewhat unique. Not everybody's been as fortunate as I have been. Okay. So what I was thinking of the American dream, I thought it was like this picture, like everyone wants a house, a car, a fence. But what I'm hearing you say about the American dream is opportunity. And opportunity, and, and that shifts my thinking, and opportunity makes me feel like, what uh, what the American dream is for you isn't the same for me. Um, for instance, it, it boils down to our personal choices, but we both see an opportunity to rise. How we get there may be different. Is that what you're saying or somewhere in that neighborhood? Yes. Well, yes. Well, like each person wants to achieve certain things in life, and in this country you have a belief that you can rise up based on your merit or hard work and get there. For me, it's been the kind of things I've done. For you, it might be something different. But the idea that you could rise up and come above your birth uh, situation where you might not have been from a wealthy family or, or you might be in a minority and you might not think you could rise up. And most people in this country uh, have historically believed in the American dream. You remember, you don't have a thing called the French dream, the Mongolian dream, the Algerian dream, because in most countries, people don't really believe that they can rise up above their, their, the status they had at birth. In this country, we do believe you can rise up. In fact, most people do rise up who get to the top of our country's uh, power structure, economic structure, or social structure, but not everybody has, and many people have given up on the American dream and don't think they can get there. Look at the homelessness we have in this country right now. Yeah. You don't see those homeless people saying, hey, I really believe in the American dream. Right. I agree. 
I agree. Um, but I have a question about that, though. While I don't think that's the ideal situation, I, I don't ever want to be in that situation. My heart goes out to people who are in, in any situation where they feel down and under. Um, I wonder if homelessness, since that's you know, one of the things we're pinging on in the moment, if that's a way for some people to protest. Is that part of the American dream to be able to speak up for yourself, even if it doesn't look quite the way we want it to? Well, the First Amendment that guarantees the right to free speech or the government won't interfere with it, so that's one of the things that most Americans really value, the right to say what you want without injuring mm -hmm. other people, let's say. But um, you, you may be right that some people who are homeless are, are making a statement saying that this system isn't working for me, for me and it's not a really fair system. But I suspect mm -hmm. most people who are homeless are less interested in making a statement than just yeah. basically struggling through the challenges of, of, uh, of lack of money or, or mental disease or alcohol or other drug abuse. That's what I suspect most of them have struggled with. Yeah, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we used to have Charter Pines here. We have another not as well-known place for people to go if they're having mental illness um, or any challenge mentally. But in my mind, it's not as prominent as Charter Pines was when I was younger. Not that I had ever been, but I knew about it. So I'm wondering, like, are the resources drying up for those people to close the gap on their particular opportunity? Well, in the old days, 20, 30, 40 years ago, people would right. see homeless people <laughs> and they would say, we've got to do something about it. Now we've accepted it as part of the landscape, and people just walk high homelessness that they see visibly in front of them, and they don't think they can do much about it because we've kind of accepted it as part of the reality of our country, sadly. Mm, that's a whole other topic for another day. What I also liked in the book, the American experiment that you um, shared with me, you covered interviews with people on, on topics, and, and we talk about, you. we like I, I wrote this, I read this. You talk about the LGBTQ community. There's topics about civil right. rights. There's topics about everything, and I couldn't pick one. Um, Ken Burns, though, um, because I started in media, and I was working at the public access um, studio here in Charlotte on my internship. Ken Burns' style of videography was one of the things that came up, and I did not realize that there was still living works by Ken Burns. So his technique I'm well familiar with, So that, and, and I had to share it with a fellow a member from the public access studio. I was like, yeah. Um, David Rubenstein interviewed Kim Burns, and you know, so um, the way we view and and Kim Burns for um, specifically for this conversation, he helps us shape our view of things the way he videos. So to see an inter a written interview, I was like a kid in a candy store because I was like, I absolutely can right. connect with everything in this book, but I had to pick one for myself, <laughs> and Kim Burns was it. Before we get out of here, I know our time is up. Thank you for this time. What do you want people who read the American experiment to to take away from it? That the country has real challenges. It's the best country on the face of the earth, but that doesn't mean we don't have challenges that we have to address. And we have to work together and try to find compromises to bring the country together. Otherwise, we're going to be torn asunder and we're going to be like the Congress, not getting anything done. And the country is going to be bypassed by other countries around the world who can get things done. I know you did more interviews than what's in this book, but of the interviews from this book, what was your, um, I guess, most impactful? 
Well, uh, of course, it's like asking which of your children are, you know, do you like the best? I, I like all my interviews, but I would say uh, just take uh, the Ken Burns one you referred to. What he came up with is the idea that he discovered that the presidents of our country knew we could not win that war militarily. They knew it from the beginning, but they persisted in doing this, and we had 58,000 Americans die in Vietnam, and, and hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese died for a, a concept that the Americans weren't going to lose a war, even though we had lost wars before. And so, sadly, the country was really divided over Vietnam, and I think today very few people would say that was a well-spent uh, time and, and well-spent uh, amount of money for our country. I think it was a, a black eye. That that does keep coming up. Now, while I don't know where the mental facility is, like, easily recognizable in my community, Vietnam was many years ago. My dad was in that era in the military, and that's something that I'm going to always remember. And, yes, it is a black eye. It's something that um, 30, 40 years later is being still remembered freshly. And, yes, we need to do something about the homeless. It's not a natural part of our infrastructure. I hope that people hear that. David, thank you so much for being on This Needs to Be My Said. My pleasure. Thank you. Where, would you, you, like, you. where would you like for people to pick up a copy of your book? On Amazon or any bookstore will have it, okay? Fantastic. Good luck on your book tour. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to This Needs to be Said. I hope you've gained something from what has been shared. Send me your comments and show ideas through the website at tntbsmedia.com. I'd love to hear from you.